answering. Well, good morning. Man, you guys, you're worse than the kids. Good morning. I hear that the temperature is going to drop, that we have a chance for rain, and we're sitting in air conditioning. Praise God. I bet I get a good amen after that. Watch this. Praise God for air conditioning. Oh, come on now. Thank God for air conditioning. A baptism of humility. And, of course, our text is 2 Kings 5, 1 through 19. The reason why I die, look back at me, is because why do you pick these long passages for me to read? Especially in the Old Testament, you're going to come across a name that you are not quite sure how to pronounce. But thank you, brother. Humility. How do you define humility? Well, Rupster's Dictionary defines it this way. Freedom from pride or arrogance, the quality or state of being humble, not proud or conceited or haughty. And in Proverbs chapter 15, verse 33, it reads, The fear of the Lord is an instruction for wisdom, and before honor comes humility. So what's the definition of pride? The quality of state of being proud. Proud means to have proper self-respect, or it can mean exaggerated self-esteem. So there can be, uh, you can be proud in a good way or proud in a bad way. There's nothing wrong with being proud of your children, your grandchildren, or your accomplishments. But we have to be careful we don't go too far with it to where we get a big head that we can't walk into a room because our head's so big. Have uh, exaggerated self-esteem with it. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18 tells us, Pride goes before destruction, and a haughty spirit before stumbling. And although we may condemn more visible sins, pride is the most deadly, because it is a gateway to every other sin. In fact, if you look back, as I look back in my life, when I feel prideful, I feel pretty good about myself. Look what I'm doing. Look what I've accomplished. That pride builds up, and there's always sin that usually follows that. Pride acts as a barrier between you and God, your will and God's will. And in our text this morning, as thou read it, we are reminded about letting, or being careful about letting pride into our lives. Pride can come in very easy. The next thing you know, we become so arrogant that we think we don't, know, we don't need God anymore. In fact, we become so confident that we start telling him how to bless us in our lives. And then we think that we'll just move God completely out of the picture. I'll call the shots from now on. After all, I know what I am doing. Well, I've said that a few times, and I'd eat those words a few times if I knew what I'm doing. You look back in verse 1, you can see that you can be proud without being full of pride. Look in verse 1, what it says about Naaman. He was the captain or commander of the army of the king of Abram. He was a great man with his master. Or he was a great man in the eyes of his master or before his master. He was highly respected. He was regarded. He was a valiant warrior or a mighty man of valor. Do you think Naaman was proud of his accomplishments? Was that okay for him to be proud of his accomplishments? Look what I've done. 
looking for our earth. Now, there's nothing wrong with that per se, but when you start thinking more of yourself than you should, that's when sinful pride comes in. Because there is a difference between being proud and sinful pride. The problem begins when you take your accomplishments and the things in your life, you start to feel better than other people, and you begin to get an ego. And like I said, your head gets so big you can't walk through the door. Now look back in verse 1 and see why Naaman was so successful. Look at verse 1. It tells us why. Because by him the Lord had given victory to Abram. You may have a lot to be proud of this morning. Children, grandchildren, a promotion at work, so on and so forth. But we must never lose focus. We must never forget the one who put us in that position to begin with. And that's the Lord God Almighty. If you're doing well in work and you're getting promoted, who gave you those skills and that brain to accomplish that work? If your kids are doing well, who gave you the wisdom and discernment to teach them and gave those children to you in the first place? It's God. We like to go to, you know, you go to the grocery store, we buy all these groceries. Who's responsible for the groceries? Yes, the farmers and the ranchers took care of the livestock and the crops, but who let the rain fall and nourish the soil? It's all of God. We must never forget that. Never forget that all our achievements, our gifts, everything that we do in this life is directly handed to us from God's right hand. And as a side note, first of all, let me qualify. I love my country. I've served my country. But we've been so blessed in this country for so long by the very one who allowed it to come to existence in the first place, that now we curse him and we walk away. It's only by God's blessings that we are here this morning. Naaman had a lot of success, but look at the end of verse 1. He was a leper. Now, leprosy was a terrible illness. It caused people to stay away from you. People with leprosy were sent away. They were ostracized. Now, apparently Naaman's Leprosy was not advanced, he continued to work, but it was still serious to him, as we'll see later in the story. The same is true about sin. Because leprosy is not just on the skin, but it goes deep within the body, so does sin. Sin is not just on the surface. Therefore, sinners like myself cannot be changed by shallow surface remedies. We need to have our hearts change, and it begins with humility. Please hear me. In order to receive God's grace, we must first humble ourselves and agree and admit and confess that we cannot heal ourselves or save ourselves. These two young people who are coming forward today, I've known them since I've been here. I've watched them grow. I've seen them blast kids. I've, I've seen God work in their lives. And they're coming out of obedience, but also out of humility, knowing that they can't save themselves. Knowing that they need Christ. 
and their every area of their life. And today they're going to proclaim it to all of us this morning in the public way of baptism. It takes humility. Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6, it reads, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. You know, I hear a lot, people I come in contact with every day, well, I go to church, but I'm better on so-and-so. No, we're not good. None of us are good. We have to look at God's definition of good. Even Jesus said, why you call me a good teacher is only one who's good. That's God the Father. The text tells us in Isaiah that even our most righteous deeds that we think of are nothing but a filthy garment before God. We need Jesus. In verse 2 of our story, it says the Arameans had gone out in the bands, taking captive a little girl from the land of Israel. Now she had become a rather obscure source for healing for Naaman. Look what she says in verse 3. Now she's speaking to Naaman's wife. That's who she's directly serving. She's taken captive, and she's serving Naaman's wife. Look what she says to her in verse 3. I wish that my master were with the prophet who is in Samaria, then he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, despite that she's taken in captivity, she is not bitter or unhelpful. She shares what she knows about the Lord and the prophet out of concern for Naaman and her And his wife. And more importantly, I would say, out of her desire to see God's glory magnified. Now, let's take these two. We don't know her name. Take Naaman on one side and the young girl on the other. As I said, she's a servant that has been taken captive. He's a captain, a commander in the army. He has fame in his king's estimations. She doesn't have any of that. She's simply a servant girl. She waits and serves Naaman's wife. And despite all that, she shares the knowledge that her master needs most. Because you see, power and glory cannot save him. But the information she shares with him can for all of us who are believers here this morning. We we know what people need. Their power, their glory, their wealth, their status will not and cannot save them. Only Jesus can save them. We must share the gospel of Jesus Christ. In fact, she's like the Old Testament prophets who would still speak well-being to their captives captors because they want to see glory, uh, God magnified and they cared about the people who they're around. As I thought of that, I thought of these two passages, Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27. Inasmuch as appointed for men to die once and after comes the judgment. One day your physical body will die. 
Don't know when, but it's going to happen. Or Jesus is going to come back between then, now and then. So those are two variables. We have no idea what's going to happen. But when we die, then we face the judgment. Now it's up to you how you face that judgment. If I go there on my own power and ability and talents and skills, I have broken all of God's law. And guess what? So have you. You think you're a good person? Let's just try this out. Have you ever told a lie? That's bearing false witness. That's one of the ten. Have you ever stolen something? Stealing is taking something without someone's permission or paying for it. No matter how small it be, I've done that. Thou shalt not steal. We can just keep going and going. And all of us have broken God's law. And it's up to us that when we face that judgment, are we going to stand on our own ability? Are we going to stand covered with the blood of Christ and let his payment on the cross cover our sin? And I'm also reminded of Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31. It's a terrifying thing to fall in the hands of the living God. Here's the point I'm trying to make. This girl, this little girl, some translations will say this young girl who was taken from her home, now she's a servant, still has on her mind what can save Nahum. Doesn't matter her circumstances. She knows what he needs, and she's willing to share it. In verses 4 through 12, we can see the dangers pride can have on our lives. Of course, you look at the story. Naaman hears what the girl can do, and he asks the king for permission to go. You look in verse 5, his response, go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. And that letter is more of a letter of introduction and demand. I mean, Naaman is important to him. He should be treated with royal tension. But the king of Israel, after reading the letter, believes they're just trying to cause trouble. I mean, who am I, God? I can't do this. They're trying to pick a fight with me. They're trying to cause some problems. See, the king of Aram, which is Naaman's king, does not know that true prophets are not paid by the kings, nor do the kings have any authority over them. So when he sends Naaman to Israel's king, it does him no good. And when the king is unable to help him, Elijah the prophet sends for him. And look at verse 9. It tells us, actually verses 9 and 10. Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and stood at the doorway. Elisha sent a messenger to him going, messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times. Now remember that pride is being arrogant, thinking you're better than somebody else. But Elijah, I mean, excuse me, Nahum don't like what he's told. He doesn't like it at all. I don't want to dip in that nasty old Jordan. This is me paraphrasing. I don't want to dip in that old nasty water. There are better rivers back home in Damascus I could do this in. So he gets all puffed up. He gets a little... Gets a little proud. And if you look down in verses 11 and 12, it tells, tells us he was furious and went away in rage. I mean, back home, his, he was respected. Maybe he didn't want to be healed that way. 
But his pride got away. I mean, to us, we kind of look at the text and go, what's the big deal? Go dip yourself seven times the joy of leprosy be healed. Why won't you do it? I would say it was because of his pride. He's letting his pride get in the way. Just like many of us sitting in this room, God's telling us to do something even now, but we're going to let our pride get in the way. We're going to let our pride steal us from the most precious blessing that God has to offer. Look in verse 11. It tells us what he thought should happen. Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Which, this is my opinion, strictly my opinion, did Naaman really want to get healed or did he want to show? Look at me, I'm an important guy. And he wants some track some attention. Look what I'm doing. I came here. I dipped in the river and now I'm healed. Baptism is not about what I do. Baptism is a picture of what God's already done inside of me and I'm professing my faith in Christ. Because baptism is a result of what God has done. Nothing that I could ever do. He wanted something more, but God was making it simple for him. See, the danger with pride is that when we get full of it, we want to boast, we want to brag. We want people to know that we're the big shots. We get so arrogant that we can expect God to work in our lives in a a powerful display of power. However, God will work in our lives in the way and manner he so chooses and in his own timing. He decides when he's going to work and how he's going to carry it out. Now, it'd be sad if the story ended there, but it is amazing. I'm not going to read verse 14 yet, but a, a servant girl gave him the news that he needed to be healed And yet again, servants are going to direct him to do what is right. Look what it says in verse 14. His servants came near or approached him and spoke to him. They used reasoning to him. Look, you're ready to do something big and so important, so difficult. Why not just do this this most simple thing and be healed? And so he does. And you know the story. He gets healed. Isn't it interesting to you that both times, not people of status, not wealthy or powerful people, servants are the ones who steered Naaman on the right road. And he makes that great confession there in verse 15. Behold, now I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. And that is drawn from the conclusion that he knows that the Lord, specifically Yahweh, is the only one who can heal him. Now, tragically, his confession condemns most of the Israelites of that time period because they rejected the one true God and embraced gods that cannot heal. Listen to this, Luke chapter 4, verse 27. This is Jesus speaking. There were many lepers in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Cyrenian. God desired, it looks like, 
to heal more, but they turned away from him. And only one, peop- one person got healed, and that was Naaman. And as a result of that, back in verse 15, he tells Elisha to please take a present, a gift, literally a blessing from your servant now. He tries to purchase his healing, and of course, Elijah would not accept payment. See, righteousness cannot be paid for. All this that we're doing this morning, uh, baptism, it's the result of, not the cause of. In other words, when you come to Christ and you admit that you're a sinner, you call out to him, then at that moment you become justified in the eyes of God. The blood of Christ covers you, and now you're in a right standing with God. That's just the beginning. Now becomes a process of sanctification, becoming more and more like Christ every day, every hour, every minute. And we follow in obedience to baptism. Jesus was baptized. He didn't need it, but he showed us what to do as a public display of our faith. That we are dying to ourselves. Our pride is being crucified. Our ego, our, all that stuff being crucified. And now Jesus is our Lord and our Master, and we will do it His way. You cannot earn it. You cannot buy it. It's the free gift of God's grace. Romans chapter 4, verse 4 reads, or actually 4 and 5, Now to the one who works... His rage is credited as favor. It's not credited as favor, but as what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. So if you work for it, no longer grace or favor, but what's due. But if you do not try to work for it, but believe in Christ, believe that he's the one who justifies the ungodly, you're Faith, your belief is credited to you as righteousness. So to sum it all up, when Naaman, Na- Naaman humbled himself and obeyed God, a miracle took place. He was cured of leprosy. Maybe today you're like Naaman. You're letting your pride get in the way. You know, religious pride is what stood in the way of the religious leaders of Jesus' day, Pharisees and Sadducees. They were so preoccupied with trying to keep the law and being better than everybody else, and even they were so arrogant that they would even pray that way. Oh God, I'm glad I'm not like the sinner. That's how arrogant they were. But their pride got in the way. They kept doing everything to try to earn their way. They could not see Jesus is their Messiah. And they got angry. I mean, read the Gospels. They got mad at Jesus. One of the many reasons they plot to kill him is because he hung out with the tax collectors and the prostitutes. How dare he do that? I'm so glad that he's a friend of sinners because if he wasn't, I wouldn't be standing before you today. I would not be here. Quit trying to earn God's grace. 
And I feel a lot of us in today's society think that we agree that we can't earn it, but we go about trying to do it anyway. It's a precious gift. And perhaps you're thinking this morning, I have a problem with pride. I need help. Perhaps you're thinking, well, I I need to come to Christ. Or I I need to, to join a church. Do yourself a favor. Stop focusing on your excuses and focus on Christ. Be a man or woman enough to admit that you need help. Admit you cannot do it your own and allow God in your heart. You may find this difficult to believe because none of you knew me before I was a Christian. But that was my biggest problem was pride. I'm a man. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it my way no matter what happens because I got this. Because if I don't have it, then I'm not really a man. I'm a weakling. I'm a, I'm a pushover. Or better yet, I'm a sissy. And I tried. I tried many things that I'm not proud of. But they all led to one place. Misery, destruction, and eventually it would lead to death. But God, as the scriptures say, rich in mercy, kept sending people my way. I didn't see it at the time, but I can go back. I can tell you, people in my life, I'm all over the place, that God was using to bring me back. And then on a Wednesday night, right up the road at First Baptist Bellevue, I broke. I said, Lord, I'm tired of doing it myself. I'm tired of doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. It's not working. I've messed up. I need you. And you know what I found out? Letting go, there's a lot of freedom in it. Because if I believe God created the earth and he commands the sun to rise and to set, keeps creation going by the power of his word, then he can take care of my problems. So please hear me. If you will humble yourself like Naaman did. And admit your need. And reach out to him. I know that he will pick you up. He will clean you up. And he'll never leave you. Nor forsake you. But walk beside you every step of the way. And your life will never be the same. The only thing stopping you is you. And I know the Holy Spirit's moving because, see, if I relied on myself to persuade you, I can't make that. I can preach so I'm blue in the face. I can't change your heart. There's only one person who can change your heart, and that's God. That's the problem with our, uh, our nation. Yeah, we should have laws against certain things, but you can't legislate morality in a man's heart or a woman's heart. It has to happen from the inside, and only God can do that. That's why the law shows us that we need a Savior. I couldn't keep God's law. 
He sent Jesus, who fulfilled the law in every simple way and then laid his life down willingly. Took my punishment. If you're tired of just doing the same thing over and over again, the same results, you're tired, maybe not physically tired, but just mentally and emotionally just tired. You see all this stuff happening in our world and you just want to throw up your hands and go, what is going on? The first step is to step out where you're at and come and admit you need him. No one in this place is going to make fun of you, laugh at you. We will pray with you. And yes, at times, we'll cry with you. This is the most sympathetic place you can be. This is God's people. And we all understand that we're sinners saved by grace. Would you come and admit that? Humble yourself. Just think if if Naaman had walked away, he would never have got healed from leprosy. See, I've, I've been healed. I'm spiritually healed. I'm no longer an enemy of God. I'm a friend of God. I'm part of the family. That's because God sent people who would not give up on me. One of which is my mama, who's not with me anymore, praying for me. And that's the reason I'm belaboring this point. Because I don't want to see you guys go down that road of destruction and death and end up forever in hell. I want you to know who Jesus is. I want you to be saved. I want you to have a great life on this earth. I want you to know his fellowship and how good he is. That's the reason I do what I do. This is called the invitation. If you need to come to Christ, now is the time. If you need to come and simply confess some sin, maybe walk across the room, talk to a brother or sister, now is the time. If you're looking for a church home and God is leading you here, we'd love to have you. But whatever it is, please do not leave this place, this moment, until you do business with God. Time is slipping by. Please do let your pride rob you of what God is trying to do in your life. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace, for your long-suffering patience. And Father, as your spirit moves in this place, I pray that each one of us let go of our pride and call out to you. Father, you are able to do many wonderful things. And too often times we get in the way. So Father, draw men and women and boys and girls unto yourself. Remind them how much you love them, how much you care about them. And we'll be quick to give you all the glory and the honor for it all. Your will be done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
Would you stand with me, please? It's one you all know, but if you don't, it's page 330 in your hymn book. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed when we've been there ten thousand years right shining as the sun we days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. You may be seated. I'm going to go back and get ready for the baptisms. Um, Great day. Be in the house of the Lord. Like my brother said earlier, that when... One comes home. There's a party going on in heaven. So when this happens, feel free to clap, cheer, shout. And we did sing a... Why don't we sing that song, Shout to the Lord, but we never shout? Shout, <laughs> yeah. Just wondering. But brother, I'm going to turn it over to you. I'm going to go get ready. All right. Well, we're going to celebrate as Tim and the <clears throat> two young people go back. And, you know... Baptism doesn't save us. We know that. But it's just an outward sign of an inward change. It symbolizes the old life goes under the water. And the new life, when you come back out, symbolizes the new life in Jesus. So we're going to sing this song while they get ready. And, you know, I think about Joshua said, Choose this day whom you will serve. It's for me and my house we will serve the Lord. How that sovereignty of God and our choosing go together is kind of a mystery, but we're going to sing this song. That I have decided to follow Jesus. 
I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. The world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back, no turning back. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back, no turning back. One more time. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. Father, we thank you for this time. We praise you, God, that we can come, Lord. Oh, Lord Jesus, you're sweet, you're kind, and you're gracious. You said, if any man come after me, and when he says man, he means mankind. He will deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. That's what he's calling us to. Even as Christians, we have choices to choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day who you will follow. Choose this day who you will believe in. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these two precious lives that you dearly love. That you shed your blood for them. That you shed your blood for each one of us. Greater love has no man than he would lay down his life for his friends. The thing is, we weren't friends. The Bible says we were enemies when Christ died. That's his grace. That God would humble himself, lower himself, and let his creation, the men of the hands that he created, or the hands that nailed his feet and his hands to the cross, the humble God, the humble God who loves you dearly. Thank you, Father. Let's sing that one more time. It's a song that we could sing every day. We'll just sing that first verse. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. 
I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back.